Amen. So we're turning uh, now to God's Word, and we're going to read from Isaiah 64, and it's on page 750 of the um, Church Bibles, if you would like to follow along, because we're, we're going to kind of just uh, walk our way through this prayer of Isaiah. Um, it's maybe not a terribly familiar p- uh, portion of Scripture, uh, and it's, uh, it, it's not one of those well-known prophecies uh, that we may look at over Christmas, and which we will, uh, Danny will be preaching on on one of them next Sunday morning. But this prayer of Isaiah, it's something that I was looking at and reading and God really laid on my heart to share tonight and some things from this prayer uh, which which I believe will be very um, hopefully helpful and appropriate for us as we go into this season of Advent. So reading from Isaiah chapter 64, and it's a prayer of Isaiah. Isaiah prays, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains would tremble before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down and make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times no one has heard No ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name and, or strives to lay hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray. For we are all your people. Your sacred cities have become a wasteland. Even Zion is a wasteland. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple where our ancestors praised you has been burned with fire and all that we treasured lies in ruins. After all this, O Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? Amen. 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 Well, as Gary said, the the countdown to Christmas is well and truly on. Uh, it's like all of a sudden we've just been launched into it. The tree is up. We had our salt Christmas party yesterday. The Advent candle was lit this morning. Uh, and, and in our own homes, the, the Christmas preparations are well and truly underway. Well, at least for the ladies they are. But in our church and in our, I know the guys wait at Christmas Eve and then, oh, we must get that one present that I have to get. But anyway, in our church and in our homes, in the shops, on TV, everywhere you look, Christmas is suddenly hurtling down the track towards us. And so in the middle of the the practical preparations that are being made, it's good to take a few minutes to step aside out of it all 
and to, at the very beginning of this Advent season, to just spend a little time preparing ourselves for Christmas spiritually. Our reading this evening was, as I said, taken from the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah preached and prophesied and prayed around 700 years before the birth of Christ. It was Isaiah who, who, one of his prophecies was about the birth of Jesus, the child who would be born, the son who would be given. And as I said, Danny will, will, will preach on that next Sunday morning from Isaiah 6 or Isaiah 9. But Isaiah lived in what we might call spiritually barren times. Listen to what he says in verse 10 and 11. Again, he says, Your sacred cities have become a desert, Jerusalem a desolation, our holy and glorious temple, where our fathers praised you has, become burned, has been burned with fire, and all that we treasured lies in ruins. You see, Isaiah lived in desolate, in godless times. And I don't know what sort of days you think that we're living in, but I think that we might add another verse to that popular Robin Mark song that we just sung earlier. For I think also that these are the days of Isaiah. These are the days of Isaiah. These are like the days of Isaiah. Because you see, you only need to turn on the, the news or pick up a newspaper, and we see it godlessness, desecration, and desolation. The undermining of the, the family unit, the disintegration of community life, the attacking of traditional biblical values, the sidelining of the church, the turning away from God, the persecution even of those who would seek to live out their Christian faith. And we don't even need to turn on the news or pick up the paper. For we are aware painfully that some of these very things are happening in our own streets, our own workplaces, even in our own families. I think for us in this part of the world that we live in days like Isaiah's. And that's why he has something to say to us tonight. You see, Isaiah has a longing that God would come down and do something about it. And don't we share that longing. So what can we learn from his prayer? And how can it better help us to prepare to celebrate his first coming into our world and help us to prepare for him to move again amongst us in these days? Well, the first thing that we see from Isaiah's prayer is this, verse 1 and 2. God's people long for his coming. Just look at how he opens his prayer. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Neither's a great start to any prayer. Lord, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. You see, Isaiah starts off by expressing his longing that God would come to earth, that he would tear open the heavens and come down to show himself and his power, to make himself known and to make people sit up and take notice. And in a godless age, we too should long that God would show himself powerfully again in our world, to turn his enemies into his worshippers, to let his glory be over all the earth, to make his name known, to exalt his name. You see, recently, guys, I saw a report in a daily newspaper that said in a survey of 200 UK local councils, only one council made reference to the name of Jesus in the Christmas cards that they were sending out. 
One council out of 200 mentioned Jesus in their Christmas cards. Another thing is that a couple of years ago now, well, I, I always go into the post office to buy some stamps, and I like to the, 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 ask for the Christmas stamps to put on my, my cards before I send them. And a couple of years ago, I went into a, a post office, which will remain nameless, but, but I asked there for Christmas stamps, and the girl apologized to me. She said that the stamps we're selling this year, they're not very Christmassy. We've nothing with Santa on them. She apologized. Just ones with Jesus and Mary. I thought, boy, you know, we've drifted, haven't we? Uh, but I've been to a carol service as well where the center of attention was Frosty the Snowman. And again, you know, but as Christians, as Christians, don't we long for Christmas to be about Christ? A celebration of the good news of great joy that is for all the people. Good news for a world that desperately needs to hear some good news. You see, it's not about Santa or the snowman. It's about the Savior. And so don't we long for God to rend the heavens and come down and show the world that it's about the Savior? Show the world what Christmas is really all about? The second thing that we see from Isaiah's prayer here as he longs for God's coming is that he recalls God's past faithfulness. God's people remember his past faithfulness. Isaiah remembers when God has shown himself and spoken and acted powerfully on behalf of his people in days gone by, even acting in ways that they did not expect. Verse 3, For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. We too, we too can recall, can't we, God's faithfulness to us in the past? His acts for us, even in ways that we did not expect. How he has brought us through difficult times. How he has revealed himself to us and to our loved ones. How he has provided for our every spiritual, physical, and emotional need as we trust in him. How he daily lavishes blessings upon us, countless blessings. Many of which we just simply take for granted. God has done awesome things for his people through the ages. Things they and we did not expect. Parting the Red Sea as he led them from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. Coming down on Mount Sinai, making the mountains tremble as he spoke and gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Being born as a a savior in a stable to a simple, uneducated Jewish-Palestinian peasant girl. Dying on a cross for us. And empty the third day the tomb where our Lord lay. Well, who would have expected it? Hasn't he done things personally for us that we might not have expected? Taken us places that we'd not expected to go. Connected us with people that we'd not expected. Done things through us that we'd not expected. You see, God has been faithful and acted on behalf of his people in the past, even in ways that they and we have not expected. So what are we not expecting God to do today and in the days ahead? What about to come gently but powerfully and speak to us this evening? What about to come gently but powerfully 
this Christmas and, and speak to somebody else that we've stopped praying for because we've stopped expecting? Isn't it wonderful that God's not restricted by our expectations? God's not restricted by our expectations. You see, if he was, then I wouldn't be standing here tonight. Sure, I I never expected to be doing this. But God wasn't limited by my expectations or anybody else's. And the same is true for you. Expect God to do things with you and for you that you wouldn't expect. For in the past, he has done awesome things, awesome things that we did not expect. You see, Isaiah lived in godless days, but he did not despair, for he knew that God had been faithful in the past and that God would act again on behalf of his people. Like Isaiah, we too do not despair, for we know that God is faithful and he will act again on our behalf in the future. And the third thing that we see from Isaiah's prayer is that God's people must wait patiently for him. Verse 4. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Isaiah acknowledges here that God speaks to and shows himself to and acts for those who wait for him. Those who wait. Now, we're not good at that, sure we're not. We're not good at waiting for anything. We want everything now. In fact, actually, we want most things yesterday. We can't wait for anything. We can't wait for Christmas. We can't wait to get the Christmas season kicked off and get celebrating. But do you know, do you know when the Christmas celebrations used to start? They used to start on Christmas Day. The Christmas celebrations in churches started on Christmas Day with the Feast of the Nativity of the Lord, and they finished on the 6th of January, the Feast of the Epiphany. 25th of December to the 6th of January, those were the 12 days of Christmas. And that's when Christmas was celebrated, starting on the 25th of December, celebrating the birth of Christ. But when do the Christmas celebrations start now? Oh, Christmas cards in the shops in September, the decorations up in October, and dinners in November. You see, we just can't wait. But here's the thing. With God, we simply have to wait. And it's always worthwhile because His timing is always perfect. The Bible tells us in Galatians 4 and 4, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman. We may ask, why was Jesus born just then? It was in the fullness of God's time. God brings all things to pass in the fullness of time. You see, we can manipulate the Christmas season and we can start to celebrate and put the tree up whenever we want, but we can't manipulate God. And so we simply must wait. We don't like it, but look, 
Isaiah says, God acts on behalf of those who wait for him. The next thing that we can learn from the prayer of Isaiah as he longs for God to come down is that God's people gladly do right. Verse 5, having celebrated God's faithfulness in the past, Isaiah then turns to God's continuing faithfulness in the present to those who seek to live for him. He writes here, you come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. God comes to those who do right, who remember his ways. Now, you see, doing right in a society that has largely dismissed the concepts of right and wrong is a big challenge. You know, we live in a society that is trying to say that, well, really, there is no God, and absolutely, that really, there are no absolute rights or wrongs. Do your own thing, and I'll do mine, and, and just make sure it's politically correct, and she will be grand. But here's the thing. God, this living God who does awesome things, this God begs to differ. He begs to differ with our society's current value system. Isaiah wrote earlier on in his book in chapter 5 and verse 20, he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. You see, God in His Word has clearly set out what is right and what is wrong, and and we've long understood what these things are. But now you know we have people saying that, nah, don't worry about that. There really is no right or no wrong. It's just whatever turns you on. Consumerism and materialism, they're okay. Sexuality, well, really, anything goes. Whatever you fancy, selfish ambition, individualism, that's okay. You're number one, just do it, grab it. You deserve it. That's what the world out there is saying, isn't it? But God, the living God who does awesome things, begs to differ. You see, he has a very simple and a very clear warning when he says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. It's frighteningly simple, isn't it? But there's also this beautiful promise that God will come to and help those who gladly do right and remember his ways. And doing right will cost us. In our society, it will increasingly cost us. It may cost our job, our business, our friends, even in some places, our lives. But we can trust that the God, that God will come to our help as we live for him, as we do what is right and as we remember his ways. The next thing that we see God's people doing as they wait for him to come down is acknowledging their sin. And so we, verses 6 and 7, confess our sin. As Isaiah longs for the Lord to come, he also acknowledges the people's sinfulness, their neglect of God, and the fact that they, like us, cannot save themselves. It's almost like God come down, but you know what if you do? You better be merciful. And praise God he is. Praise God he is. For verses 5 and 6, but when we continued to sin against them, that is God's ways, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, says Isaiah, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. You see, whether we like it or not, the Bible tells us that we are all sinners and cannot save ourselves. Yes, God wants us to do right and remember his ways, but 
attempts to save ourselves will ultimately fail. As far as trying to be righteous, clean before God, the truth is that all our own attempts at righteousness is like, just like a big pile of filthy rags. We cannot make ourselves clean. Have you ever tried cleaning something with a, a filthy rag? Ever tried cleaning a window with a rag that's got lots of oil or something on it? It's just not going to work, is it? No, we can't make ourselves clean. We can't make ourselves righteous. We cannot save ourselves from the consequences of our sinfulness. And Isaiah asks a question. Isaiah asks a question that points us forward to Christ. Verse 6, how then can we be saved? How then can we be saved? Some 700 years later in Philippi, the jailer, Acts 16, he asked the very same question. At that time, Paul and Silas were in jail in Philippi and God came down and shook the place with an earthquake and flung the prison doors open. And on seeing God at work, the jailer fell trembling at Paul and Silas' feet and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they give the jailer that very simple answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You know, we complicate things at times, don't we? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That was Paul's simple response. That's the, that's the answer to Isaiah's question. That's the answer to the questions, to that question whenever it has ever been asked. Because that question is ultimately answered by Paul in this most complete and full and simple way possible. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Oh, we're all sinners and these attempts to save ourselves just make us dirtier, but there is, there is one who can make us white as snow. You see, Isaiah had also talked about this earlier in chapter 1 and verse 18. He writes this, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And there is this urgency here to what he says. Come now. Come now, he says, don't wait. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. You know, isn't it amazing that the God who does awesome things, the God who is coming again to judge the earth, the God who could wipe us all out in the blink of an eye, gives us this wonderful opportunity again tonight to get it right. Come now. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. The Lord Jesus Christ, the little baby born in the manger, grew up to die on the cross, to rise from the tomb so that we could be forgiven, washed white as snow, made right with God and have eternal life. And so as we prepare for Christmas, well, if you have not yet believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and put your, your trust in him, then let us do that tonight. Let us come now and reason with him. 
and then, and then we really can have the best Christmas ever. As we trust in our Father's love and plans. Verse 8 and 9. This is the final thing that I want to look at tonight from Isaiah's prayer. Even as Isaiah pointed forward to Christ, he was still assured of God's great mercy even then. And we, and we can be too because of all the mess in the world and for our, all our own sinfulness. Verse 8, Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. You see, Isaiah finds hope and assurance in acknowledging his people's wonderful relationship with God. And we can too. We see here two pictures to describe our relationship with God. Firstly is the picture of the Father. God is our Father, our Heavenly Father who loves us, the Father who created us, the Father who recreates us spiritually as we come to trust in Him. And I guess we're, we're all pretty familiar with this idea of God as our Father. But what about this idea of God as the potter? I don't know if you've ever seen a potter at work. I was up at the Folk Museum one time and I saw a potter at work there. And he scooped up out of the, this bag of mud, as it just looked like to me. He scooped up this big lump of, it just mud, looked like mud to me, but, and he put it on the wheel. And as the wheel spun and the, pot, and the potter pushed it and pulled it and kneaded it, the clay, and he worked the clay into shape, and he, he worked it into the shape he wanted it to be, and then he, he later he baked it and painted it and glazed it. You see, in the hands of the potter, the lump of clay became a beautiful, useful, valuable thing that he was proud of. And that's what God does with us. That's what God does with us as we surrender ourselves into his hands. He picks us up and he, he pulls us and he pushes us and he needs us and sometimes it hurts. But he is making us into something that is beautiful, useful, and valuable. Now, we can simply sit like a lump of clay in the bag and never be anything other than that. Or we can offer ourselves up into the potter's hands. We can give ourselves to him and let him make something beautiful and useful and valuable. The person that he always intended us to be. A person more like Jesus. A person that God the Father is proud of. And so Isaiah pleads with God for forgiveness for himself and the people, and he puts his trust in the Father's love and plans. Verse 9, he says, Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. O look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. And that's our simple cry as we wait on the Lord here this evening and throughout this Advent season. Lord, we are not perfect. Lord, we are not strong. But Lord, we are yours. That's where our security is. That's where our peace is. That's where our hope is. And that's where our joy is as we prepare ourselves for Christmas. And so we prepare. We prepare with gratitude and expectancy. We expect that he will come. That he will reveal himself to us individually and collectively that he will reveal himself to the nations and his glory will be over all the earth. Just as I finish, as we prepare for, for Christmas and await his advent, 
Let us remember that the best way to do this is just as God's people have done through all the generations. God's people long for His coming. We remember His past faithfulness. We wait patiently. We gladly do right. We confess our sin. And we trust in our Father's love and plans. Shall we pray together for a moment? Let us pray. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's just take a moment in the silence and in God's presence to prayerfully ponder these things and to respond in our hearts to what the Lord is doing here now as he moves amongst us. Come, Holy Spirit. Just receive his blessing. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus, Savior of the world, come to us in your mercy. We look to you to save and help us. By your cross and life led down, you set your people free. We look to you to save and help us. When they were on the point of perishing, you saved your disciples. We look to you to come to our help. In your great mercy, set us free from all that imprisons us. Forgive the sins of all your people. Make yourself known as our mighty deliverer. Save us and help us that we might praise you. Come now and make your home amongst us, Lord Christ Jesus. Hear our prayer and be with us always. And when you come in your glory, Make us one with you. Share with us the life of your kingdom. Thanks be to you, O Lord. Hallelujah. Amen and amen.